I want to invite you to open up the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, and that will be our study for, (laughs) I don't know how long, until we finish. Favorite places to study, because Romans has a theme. The theme of Romans is the just. In, In Paul's epistles... Here in Romans and and, and in Galatians, and then we can argue about it later in Hebrews. (laughs) When each one of those brings out the same verse from Habakkuk, that the just shall live by faith. And each one takes that verse and, and, and defines a portion of it. Romans talks about the just. Galatians shall live. Hebrews by faith. And they, they emphasize those portions. And so as we look at, at Romans, we, we want to understand that the emphasis in Romans is the righteousness that we have by faith in God. That we're just, justified. We're going to talk about justification, sanctification, glorification, all kinds of occasions that are going to go on throughout the book because these terms are things that Paul touches on as he really talks a lot about salvation. What that looks like. What, what's required. And as we, as we begin and as we, we take that journey, I want to encourage you. You know, Romans has a lot to tell us. It's kind of funny because nowadays we, just, we, we don't want to hear the stuff. I don't know when it happened. I'm not exactly sure when it when it occurred within the church. But within the church now, we are governed and ruled oftentimes by opinions. And I like opinions, and you can have one, and I have a few. Uh, and, and we can get together and talk about our opinions anytime. And we should be able to do that. We should be able to, to talk about our opinions, and and if we do it in a in a... Good way. We ought to be able to do it without offending each other, right? And that's opinion. By the way, opinion's not doctrine. Somewhere down the line, we started thinking we we should live by opinions. Well, I think it means this. Man, I really hate to rain on anybody's parade. Well, it's not true. I actually enjoy raining on people's parades, but. I want to say that just to kind of soften the blow. I, um, and we do this, we talk about this, and the guys who are in discipleship and the gals who come to the discipleship uh, uh, class and course, and some of the guys that I have discipled with over the years, hey, everyone's welcome to their opinion. But if you can't show it to me in this book, it don't mean nothing. And you should hear some of the conversations we've had in my office before. We're talking about God's will. And we start talking about God's perfect will and God's permissive will. And I just smile. I get a big grin on my face. And I say, those are very cool concepts. Show me where that is. Oh, well, I'm trying to make God fit in my box. And so I've come up with some really great concepts. I don't care about concepts. I care about the word. What does the word say? What does it, we, folks? We got enough problems with just what it says, don't we? 
It's, we don't got to try to find some new way or some new thing. To, there's enough. Wow. I, I um, So I open up Romans. Now, I, I have every 15 chapters. So it should only take 15 weeks, right? Well, it's not. I'm sorry. I um, I studied for a long time. And I didn't finish verse 1. Because there's so much God saying in the first verse. And what we have a tendency of doing is we just want to gloss through it. Let's just get it done, right? Come on, I showed up. I want to punch the clock. I want my hour done. You know, I'm here to preach or talk. Hopefully he's not so boring that I can hardly stay awake. Oh my gosh. Please tell me when lunch is. Let me get out of here. Let's go. And we've, we've lost in some, sometimes, not always, but we've lost sometimes that appetite for what's God's word telling me? What is it saying? What does it mean for my life? Folks, there is only, there's only one interpretation. Only one. The Bible only means what it says. There's lots of application. How do I apply that into my life? But one of the unique things, when God crafted for us the New Testament, and and He stored it for us, for you and I to receive now these many years hence from the day that it was written, there are more copies of the New Testament than any other ancient form of literature on the face of the earth. It is, if, if you say the Bible's inaccurate, you have to throw out everything else. That's ancient. Because there are so many more. It's unbelievable how many copies we have passed down. We can look at. That we can argue over. That we can talk about. And they're transmitted to us in a unique language. The unique language is the Koine Greek. Koine means common. See, Alexander the Great. You guys don't mind a history lesson, do you? Alexander the Great. He united Greece and developed this incredible empire by uniting them so that he could make the commands he wanted to make to his army and they would do exactly what he said. That they wouldn't interpret. They wouldn't change. It just meant what he said. You with me? Like, you come on. You guys, you know what I'm saying. If I say to you, I love my wife... And I love carne asada. Do I mean the same thing? I use the same words. But I mean different things, right? But see, in the koine, you don't have that kind of confusion. In the koine, what you say is what you meant. Now, I might not like it. Now, that's a whole different problem, right? I might not like it. I might not like it. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of very, very challenging things in the Word of God. Do we agree? There's challenging things in the Word of God. But I believe that the Word of God is God's Word and that it is absolutely authoritative in my life. So so if the Word of God tells me something, it's my responsibility to take that which it tells me and plug it into my life and say, now, what's my, what's my life look like now? You know, how, how do I, how do I love like Christ? I spend my entire life learning how to love like Him. And, and, and it wouldn't be wasted. And, and that's just one part, right? One, one piece 
of the puzzle. So as we look, <coughs> I want us to understand God's Word is authoritative and it speaks to us today. It's relevant for now because it's God's Word. We think sometimes the events of our day are different than they were in the time of the Bible. They're no different. Folks, no, things still go on just like they did back then. You know, marriages, a lot of them end in divorce just like they did then. And in fact, I can't prove it, but I bet if you work percentages, I, I, don't, I don't think things have got all that much worse. I think we're just always bad. You hear what I'm saying? We always struggle. There's all these problems. And we find ourselves in these places and then we say, wow, here I find myself in opposition to what God's Word is telling me to do. What shall I do about that? Well, I can, I can say it has nothing to do with me. It's no relevance to me anymore. Or I can say, well, that means to me, do this. But remember, we already talked about it. It just means what it says. I want to make proper application of God's Word. And, folks, please, use it as a mirror. I see, right now, there's about half of us in our minds, we pictured somebody and we think, oh, I hope they're listening. Nope. Why don't you listen? I hope you're listening. The the, the section that I, I'm going to do, verse 1, you look at it, we'll read it together, it won't take us very long it, uh, to read it, was so mind-blowing to me. I, I couldn't get, I couldn't stop. I couldn't get off it. I couldn't stop chasing down the the answers and being blown away by what I was finding. And and I hope that for you, that you're open to, to receive that which God wants to pour into your life and say, look, are we okay? Because on top of the Bible being challenging and all the things that it is, and I love the Word, I can't get enough of the Word, the Bible scares me. I go to Matthew chapter 7, and it's hard to read Matthew chapter 7. I, let, me just, let me just share it with you guys. We're going to come back to it in a, a, a little bit later. But let me share it with you. Matthew seven twenty one. <clears throat> Listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you catch that? Not everyone... Who says they're a believer. That's what he's saying. Is a believer. That don't scare you? That kind of scares me. I think that's why Paul later on would tell us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Think about what you are in reality. Don't deceive yourself. But he says, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's the believer. You get what he's saying? Not everyone who says my name, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Verse 22 says, Many will say to me in that day. Now, I'd like that to mean a lot of things. I'd like to take that word and say, well, what that just means, a, a lot. Well, that word in the Greek means the majority. That's scary. To me. 
will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name or done many wonders in your name? Didn't we pick it down the street in your name? Didn't we stand on the corner in your name? Didn't we have all these great causes in your name? We did a lot of stuff. But Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. Wow. You who practice lawlessness. But that's the mark of their life. I don't know about you. I am currently a practicer of lawlessness. There are things in my life still today. Now you think about it any way you want. But there are things in my life still today that I know I should stop. And I just let them keep going. Why do I do that? Maybe spending a little time allowing the Word of God to convict, to rebuke, to exhort. Maybe those are important things. Well, I promise you Romans, we don't start, we'll never get there. So, so let's look at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Now, I know this is a bad practice because we're at the beginning of a like seven-verse sentence. This Paul. Paul does this. Paul talks on run-on sentences. He, he, he gets rolling and he doesn't know when to stop, so he keeps going. But that's as far as we're going. We'll, I promise we'll do the rest. And I won't break it all up like this, but I just got to stop here. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. There's three things in this, in this that we see about Paul. He talks about his attitude, his authority, and his appointment. And this introduction goes all the way through uh, to, to verse 18. And <clears throat> this first sentence goes all the way to verse 7. See, introducing himself to the, to the Romans. He's writing from Corinth. He's not been there yet. You guys remember, we were just going through Acts. Remember when he was at Ephesus for a while? He was there for a long time. And then he went and he went to Corinth for a short period of time. And he dealt with some problems in Corinth. And he, that's before he went to Jerusalem, got arrested, and went to Rome after that. Well, during that time, he wrote this book. He, he wrote Romans. And he, and, he, and he says this incredible thing. And, and I think about... Matthew chapter 7, and I think about the lack of power and vibrancy that I see sometimes in the body of Christ. And I think about men and women who know what God's Word says not to do and then do it anyway. And we say things like, well, God will forgive me. But God don't got to do nothing. He's God. But we forget that sometimes. And God is love. And we can't take love out of the equation ever, but God's more than love. He's a lot of other things too. And when we look at this, and, and, and so I, I think about that, and I, I don't know, this week I just kept getting hammered by, by brothers and sisters, both past and, and present, who are, are making crazy radical Choices in their life to do things that, that are not like, I wonder if that's wrong or okay. No, no, they're full on. They know it's wrong. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And I look at all that and I think, 
man, where, where, where is... And then I, I come across it in this verse. It's, it's the next two words. Paul, a uh, bondservant of Jesus Christ. That's as far as I could get. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Bondservant. It's the words doulos. And, I, and, and I've told a lot of stories about doulos and what doulos means. And, and, and maybe we all think we know what it means. Um, but, you know, I decided, I, you know, I don't care what everybody else says it means. What's the Bible say? What does the Bible say about doulos? What does it say? What does a doulos look like? When we say, Paul said, I'm a doulos, I'm a bondslave, I'm a slave by choice. I choose to be a slave of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Where are there examples in the Word? Well, gosh. Um, I don't know. There was, I didn't write down a number. There was something like 400 in some instances of the use of the Word. That's a lot by the way. So I want to talk to to you this morning about the attitude of the Apostle Paul and the attitude of a man who preaches the gospel. What should be the attitude of every believer? And I say that that attitude that we should possess is the attitude of a doulos, the bond slave. I am a slave of Jesus Christ and we ought to take some time to think about what that means that I just said. What am I saying? What does it mean? Look, there's examples all throughout the Old Testament. We look it up in the Septuagint, which, by the way, was the first book ever translated into a different language in 270 B.C. The Old Testament was translated into the Greek. It's called the Septuagint. It's the Bible that Jesus used. And there are multiple examples of this word being used. So we're going to run through some of them. You guys can follow with me if you can. Try not to confuse you, please. Try to cling to the points. But here, these are examples. What does a doulos look like? Give me a picture. In Exodus 13, 3, Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of doulos. Bondage. Remember this when you leave the house of bondage. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, they were what? Slaves. Now think with me. This is the word of God. It's what the word is saying. What did they do there? Well, they did whatever they had to do, right? They were, I assume, obedient to the masters or they got whooped, right? We read stories about it in the Bible. They they did whatever they were were asked to do <clears throat> one of the Old Testament examples is that that the old the, the, the children of Israel being in slavery the example of Dulos second example of Dulos these aren't all of them I'm just going to share a few of them with you <clears throat> you remember Jacob Jacob Genesis chapter twenty nine remember Jacob he had a brother named Esau right Esau was hairy earthy guy hunter. Jacob was kind of a homebody, hung out with mom. He was he he cooked and cleaned and and did those things. And so Jacob he stole his brother's birthright, had to run to his uncle Laban's house. So he's with Laban, and the Bible tells us he saw someone that he loved. He saw Rachel. The Bible said 
that he saw Rachel and he loved her so much, he was willing to do what? Well, what did he do? He worked for how long? Well, that was the deal, but then Laban broke it. So how many years did he really have to work? Fourteen years as a what? Slave. Dulos. A slave. What did he do when he worked for Laban? Whatever Laban told him to do. Didn't he? But Laban said, you go do that. What did he do? He went and did it. For how long? Fourteen years. So that he could have... So that he could have Rachel. In Genesis 29 verse 18 it says, Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve Dulos. I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter. I will be your slave. That's what he said, I'll be your slave. We sing songs. I want you to think of the same concept of the songs. Where you go, I'll go. Right? Right? Who you love, I'll love. That's, don't you see that's the attitude of the doulos? He would do that for the one whom he served. Just examples out of the Old Testament of, of examples of <clears throat> what's it look like. Okay, David. You guys remember David, right? He served a king. You remember the king's name? He wasn't such a good guy. His name was Saul. David served Saul... As a doulos. So when Saul would say to David, David, there's some guys over here and go deal with them. He took the army, went over there and dealt with them. Right? Well, the Bible says he was his doulos in 1 Samuel 18.5. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent, and Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's doulos, servants, his other servants. And in chapter 19, verse 4, Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father, and said, Let not the king sin against his doulo, servant David. See, David did whatever... Saul told him, now Saul was not a great king, was he? Every once in a while he tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. But one of the things that made David so incredible is even though all these bad things are happening, he didn't take vengeance in his own hands. He trusted God. Because he was a doulos. Interesting Interesting concept for sure. That kind of brings us to the to the next example. The next example is Abigail. <coughs> Excuse me. You guys remember Abigail? She was married to a guy named Nabal. Anybody remember Nabal? That's good. Nabal, his name means fool. I don't think his mom and dad liked him. And most of the people that were around him didn't like him either. David came to Nabal when he was protecting all the people out there. And he said, Nabal, hey, I need some food. He'd been thrown out of, of Saul's. He's left Saul. He's living in caves. And, and Nabal says to David, who's been protecting him and protecting his lands. Uh, no, I'm not giving you nothing. It's all mine. Go away. Huh. So David says, well, it's, it's all yours. I'll just come take it. So he gets all his army together. And he's mad. 
And he's coming to Nabal. He's going to kill him. Abigail, Nabal's wife. Look what happens. In 1 Samuel 25, verse 41, Abigail comes to David. Listen, please. And she arose and bowed her face to the earth. And she said, here is your maidservant, Dule. Oh, when I saw that, it, my, my brain started to melt. But I'll tell you why in a minute. But she come up and said, Behold your maidservant, Dule. I'm your slave. Dule is simply the female version of the word dulos. The, the, the feminine and the masculine form. Same word. She said, I'm your maidservant. A servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Wow, Abigail came and washed the feet of the servants of David and said, please don't do this thing that's in your heart to kill my husband. He is a fool. And David, you have never demanded or taken vengeance on anyone. Don't ruin your witness. Don't blow what you're doing. And David saw Abigail and says, you're right. And he stopped. What, what stopped the rage of, of David? A duele servant who said, I'm here just to wash your feet. Man, it's, there's somebody else that washed feet in the Bible. Any of that come to your mind? John chapter 13, Jesus did what? He took off his robe and he girded himself with a towel. Okay, he takes off this this clue, whatever version, whatever thing you have in your mind. You, what you need to picture now, he looks like the slave, the house slave. He's got a towel around his waist so he can dry off the feet, and he does the worst job that anybody has in the entire house. He goes one by one and begins washing their feet. Abigail did that. We're going to talk about why I think Jesus did that in a minute. We see Israel serving other kings and judges. We see him serving other gods and judges. We see him serving the Lord God Almighty throughout the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, here's the picture I want you to grasp. What does doulos mean? And what does it really mean? Not that I think what doulos is, just somebody who who chooses to, to serve the Lord when it suits them. Is that what a doulos is? Because that's not what I'm reading. The examples of that word are the slaves in Egypt, the way Jacob served for Rachel, doing whatever was asked or required of him, the way David served Saul, whoops, the way Abigail, I had a concert moment there for a second, the way Abigail served David washing his, his feet. Man, the way that they, they gave themselves over for it. So then I started looking in the New Testament. Okay, New Testament. I see it in the old. Where is it in the new? First one I came to, we talked about last week. Luke chapter 1. You remember that little 16-year-old girl that the Lord appeared to and said, Oh, man, your life is about to radically change. Really? What's it going to look like? Well, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. Wow. And she said, I'm your dule. 
I'm your slave, God. You do whatever you want to do in my life. I, please do not take Mary's life and say, oh, it was, it was just so cool after that. But I mean, she had Jesus. Yeah, everybody thought she cheated on her husband. Everybody, Nobody believed her story. Nobody believed that it really occurred, that the virgin gave birth to a child. Oh, that's ridiculous. When Jesus comes into His earthly ministry, 30 years after giving birth, she says to Jesus, come on, do this incredible miracle here at Cana and turn the water into wine so everybody will know that, that I really was telling the truth all those years ago. Isn't that what she's saying? Wouldn't you want to be vindicated? But, but she, she answered all that stuff in that first verse in Luke 1, 38, when she said, I'm your doule. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. May it be to me as you have spoken, whatever you say. Whatever you say. Man, that's, that's crazy. Time eventually came. She didn't really care what everybody else thought. Because she knew. She's just the bond servant of the Lord. That's what she said in Luke one thirty eight. I am yours. Do what you will. That's a New Testament example in Luke chapter 1 of a doule. I am yours. Do what you will. Revelation chapter 15. We're going to be in Revelation for like the next four. Don't be afraid. Flip over there. It's a fun book. Revelation chapter 15 verse 3. Gives us a New Testament example of Moses. Think about Moses. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. The doulos to the prophets, Revelation 10, 7. All the prophets are his doulos, according to verse 7. The, the writer of Revelation and the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John in Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servant that he must shortly take place. He sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, Dulos, John. To Jude in Jude 1. To Peter in 2nd Peter 1. To James in James 1. To Epaphras in Colossians 4. And to every single believer on the face of the earth in Revelation 22.3. In Revelation 22.3, right where it's talking about every, every, you'll wipe every tear from her eye. No more pain, no more sorrow. There will be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants shall serve Him. Dulos. So if you're there, you are a Dulos. Man, there's lots of examples in the New Testament. Paul in Romans chapter 1, a bondservant, a doulos. Look, I just want to get to the most important example of them all. And, and that's where we are now. So flip over to Philippians chapter 2. <coughs> Philippians chapter 2. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Wow. This verse is mind-blowing.
Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We all read that before, haven't we? Are we familiar with it? That's the most dangerous thing to ever say when we're reading the Bible. Oh, I got that one. I've heard that before. Man, slow down. Who being in the form of God, the word for form is the word morphe. It means the exact nature. That word form. The exact nature at the very core of the being of Almighty God. We're talking about Jesus. Strong, strong definition of His divinity. But I don't want to talk about that one. I want to go to the next time the word form is used. And coming, He took the form of what? A doulos. A slave. The form. Not the shape. He didn't take the shape. That's not what it means. It means that He is in His character, in the character of divinity, in the character of God, in the absolute perfection of His nature, He is a slave. Jesus is a doulos. If He's a doulos, how can I be anything less? Then he said, come and follow me, right? He said, come and follow me. Take on your cross and follow me. He's a doulos. The great kenosis of Philippians chapter 2, the mind-blowing aspect of Philippians chapter 2 is that though he is God of very God, that point came when he placed himself in a position which was always a part of his character as a slave, and he'll stay there forever. Forever. How long will Jesus be a doulos? Forever. What did he say when he came to earth? I only speak the things what? And my father tells me to say. I only do the things my father tells me to do. What's that sound like? Dulos. It's, it's it's so radical to me, the absolute perf- perfect character of God. So, in in closing, I want to talk about seven characteristics. Obviously, I won't talk about it very long. Seven characteristics of a dulos. I think we're all to be, should be. Can be dulos. I think I think God's word declares that we should all be. You can't find a name of someone who wrote a book in the Bible who did not define themselves as a dulos. In Romans later on we're going to study where God says through through Paul. Whomever you present yourself to obey. You are slave to that. 
You with me? So you will either be a slave to God, or you can be a slave to self, or you can be a slave to this world, or you can be a slave to your job, you can be a slave to your desires, to the one whom you present yourself to obey, that says a lot about who you serve. And all of a sudden, Matthew chapter 7 gets a little scarier to me. First characteristic of a doulos. He obeys his master without question. Absolute obedience. Matthew 8, 9 and 10. Remember, I told you opinion don't matter. It's going to come out of the word or it don't matter. <clears throat> For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my doulos, I say, do it. And he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in all of Israel. A doulos obeys. That's the mark of a doulos. In fact, it's used as an example of being obedient I don't want to obey do you think the slaves always did hey you're an under rower uh, this big guy sitting on top of the, of the boat he wants to go from California to Catalina there's no wind or current and he wants you to row him there you're the doulos he says row you row you just row now Am I saying that's the character of God? No, of course I'm not saying that's the character of God. I'm saying that's the character of a doulos. You obey. Is that my character to the one whom I say I serve? If God says, jump, do I say how high on the way up? Or do I first ask, why? For what? I don't feel like it. Second characteristic of a doulos. He belongs to his master. He is no longer his own. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. You are not your own. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 22, For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price, so do not become slaves of men. All those words, doulos. Slave, doulos, doulos. I am a slave to whom I obey. I belong to the one who paid the price for me. I belong to Christ. What's the price that he paid? We paid for my sin. Well, I didn't ask him to. Well, good. So what's that got to do with anything? Nothing. 
Not only did God define sin, define you and I as sinners, and by the way, just because there's some confusion in the world, let me make it clear, everyone is a sinner. Everyone. And you will go to hell without the saving blood of Jesus Christ being applied in your life. Whether you agree with the list of sin or not is irrelevant. You're not God. He is. He gets to make the rules. My job as a doulos is to decide, do I want to align myself with the one who paid the price for me? Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to set you free. I didn't come to tell you all the things you're doing wrong. I come to say, you already messed up. But I have paid the price. Here's the gift. Just take it out of my hands. And come and follow me. Come and follow me. I bought you. I bought you. The next characteristic, the third one, he honors his master. In 1 Timothy 6.1, Let as many bondservants, doulos, as are under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. The doulos honors his master. And if I look at my life and i got to think, what do I honor? What do I give greatest honor in my life? Man. Look, it ain't meant to just be some kind of downer. It's to say, wake up. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. He who honors their master. The fourth characteristic, he never argues with his master. In 2 Timothy 2, 24. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Oh, this is a description. The servant of the Lord. No, it's not the word diakonos. It's not deacon. It's not the word for minister. It's the word slave. Dulos. The dulos. What does it say about the dulos? The very first thing it said. The dulos must not quarrel. Man, we got a lot of people who want to just fight. You notice that? You know what a fight requires? Two willing participants. The doulos don't fight. That's the master's job. The doulos, he just stays calm, gentle to all, and able to teach. And I don't got a lot of time to go over that. Able to teach means that you have the ability <clears throat> to help Someone understand the passion in your life to, to, to package it, to box it, to show them what you're trying to say. That um, Being able to teach does not mean that you went to school somewhere and learned how to be a teacher. In fact, most teachers... Well, that's bad. I don't mean that. Uh, there are some teachers... Sorry, there are some teachers out there who think that every student must learn the way I teach. Where on the face of the earth is that true? I coach a lot of kids in my life and I I will be more than happy to tell you they don't all receive coaching the same way. 
I've watched a kid I could holler at till spit was flying out of my mouth and getting all over his face. And he's just going, yeah, 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 okay. And I'd walk over to the next kid and start hollering and he'd just cower. And he'd break. And that's not the goal. The coach's goal is not to break the, 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 the one whom he's trying to instruct to go play. He's to instruct, to teach. To be able to teach means i got to find a way to connect with that person that I disagree with. The church doesn't do that well. we got a lot of people we disagree with we, and, and, and we think are wrong. And we keep banging the same drum and wondering why they don't... How come they're not listening? Pick a new drum! you got to find a way to be able to teach, to take the truth. I'm not saying change the truth. That's not what I'm saying. You say I say that, I'll call you a liar to your face. To take the truth and help them understand it. Do you get what I'm saying? That's a doulos. That's a doulos. He doesn't argue in this... Titus 2.9, it says, Exhort bondservants, doulos, to be obedient to their masters, not answering back. <laughs> they don't talk back. They just do what God's asking. Do what the master's asking. The fifth thing, he does what is commanded regardless of whether or not he's appreciated. Doesn't the Lord care about all I've done? Yeah, he does. And he says he won't forget not any of it. But he says, just keep working. Keep going. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 17. So the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now which of you, having a servant, doulos, plowing or tending sheep, would say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once, sit down to eat. But he would not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper. Gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk. And afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all the things which you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable doulos. We have done only what it was our duty to do. Wow. I don't think any of us have done anything all that special. That God ought to stop heaven to tell us what a great thing we did. Now, does that mean we shouldn't do it for one another? No. If we are mature believers in Christ, you will encourage one another. That's The Word of God tells us that. But I'm saying the doulos, the attitude of the doulos is, whether I get thanks or I don't get thanks, I got a job to do. The sixth thing, he accepts full responsibility for what's been entrusted to him. Read Matthew 25, 14 through 30. It's a story of the, the parable of the talents. Well, come on. Everybody knows the parable of talents, right? One guy got a lot, another guy a little less, one guy won. Okay, I'll tell you if you guys want to know. (coughs) So it says, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own doulos, servants, and delivered his goods to them. And he gave one five talents, another two to another one. And each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. And he who had received five talents went and traded them and made another five. And likewise, he who had received two, he went and traded with him and made gain two also. But he who received one went and dug it in the ground and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of the talents came and brought, uh, and, and the servants came to settle accounts. So he had received five talents, came and brought five other talents. And the Lord said, or he said, Lord, you have delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more besides. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful doulos. Just love that word. You are faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. The next guy, same thing. Well done, good and faithful doulos. You took what I gave you and you used it. Well done. But to the other guy, hey, I, I didn't do anything. The Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy doulos. That's not the one I want. Not the one you want. The doulos accepts responsibility with what God has given him. And the last one, he desires to please his master alone. He desires to please his master alone. Galatians 1.10 For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I cannot be a bondservant of Christ. What do I live for? Who do I live for? Oh, I want to be a bondservant of Christ. I want to, I want to, I want to add my name to these names. I want to, I want to say, Dulos, yes, that's what I do. I follow the Lord, not focused with being a man pleaser. In Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, he says, bondservants, Dulos, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. And in sincerity of heart, like unto Christ. Not with eye service like men pleasers, but like a bondservant of Christ who does the will of God from his heart. With good will, doing services to the Lord and not to men. Man, that's what I want to be. I couldn't even get past verse 1 because I'm so blown away by this thing, this, this concept the doulos and what the Word really says about it. And how we really ought to be Listen, Paul's testimony in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a doulos of them all. A slave. That's a section of scripture you, you know. To the Jew, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those under the law, as under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those who are without the law, not as without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without. To the weak, I became as a weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. I heard a thing in teaching. I, I won't say it right because I'm not a teacher, but 
there's this concept in teaching about getting behind the eyes of the one you're trying to teach. Getting behind their eyes. What makes them tick? Why are they doing what they do? Where's the struggle? What's going on? What's the, what are they missing? Don't you see that's what Paul's talking about right here? To the Jew, I became as a Jew. I removed the things that would divide me from them so that we could talk, connect, so I could tell him the truth and he could receive it. To the Gentile as a Gentile, I, I, I made a way to bridge the gap. Because I'm a slave. I'm not the master. The master is coming. And when he does, and I stand before him and I say, Lord, Lord. I do not want to hear. Who are you? Oh. To whom you present yourselves to obey, that is the one you serve. My question this morning Are you a doulos of the Lord Jesus Christ? I asked myself that question. I had to spend my time <coughs> already in repentance and prayer and asking for forgiveness and. And if there's somebody here who, who, who hasn't been doing that or, or doesn't need to do that, congratulations. But look, the Word of God doesn't condemn, it convicts. And conviction drives us toward Christ. doesn't mean, I don't want to say I want to quit because I I've now have been challenged with something in my life that's out of order. Rather, I want to say it's out of order. Confess my sin. I don't have to be afraid. Confess my sin. He will forgive me. He wants me to make it more than I want to make it. If you can imagine such a thing. So we put ourselves in the hands of the potter. And you let him make the clay into what he wants it to be. And serve him with all our hearts. That's, that's how a believer is supposed to look. Following the commandments of his Lord and Savior just because they're his and we love him and we want to do what he says.